0: What's interesting about Saint Patrick is that he was not, and is not, and never has been canonized as a saint. He was called that by the people of Ireland. He was not Irish. In fact, he was British, and he was brought to the island, uh, to Ireland, as a slave. And ultimately, after years of slavery, he escaped and went back. And uh, he was being trained as he gave his heart to God. He was being trained to serve God. And it was there that he heard the call of God on his life to go back to the land where he was enslaved to minister the gospel. And he, in obedience to God, went back to Ireland Ireland had never heard the gospel; had never been preached there. He was the first man to become a missionary to the island of uh, to Ireland, and he, as a result of that, the gospel came and many got saved and turned to Christ. That's why he is celebrated among the Irish people as a man who transformed the nation of Ireland. Why am I sharing all that? Because I want to pray. I want to pray for missions tonight. I'm going to ask Pastor Joe in a moment to come and and lift up his heart. I want you to agree with him. I want to pray for two things regarding missions. First of all, that God would raise up men and women who would answer the call. Think about that for a moment. He answered the call of God to go back to a nation where no one was a believer and a nation that had enslaved him for years. And because of one man, one man, a whole nation was turned to Christ in that the gospel came in and it began to spread there and impact the whole nation. It's amazing what God can do with one obedient soul. So I want, Pastor, uh, to pray not just for people to respond to the call, but I also want to pray now for people who have answered the call, that like St. Patrick, they would have a dynamic impact in the nation that God has called them to serve. Let's agree with Pastor Joey as he
1: prays. When you were speaking, I was reminded of of one of St. Patrick's most famous quotes. And I just want to read that real quick just so you can hear the heart of my prayer. He said, Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ when I rise, Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me, Christ in every eye that sees me, Christ in every ear, that hears me. Oh, Heavenly Father, I echo the words of St. Patrick, God. Lord, we thank you for the men and women like him who are willing to make themselves less so that Christ may be made known more, who are willing to sacrifice their homeland, who are willing to sacrifice plans that they may be had for their own future in order to accomplish the goals that you have, God. Lord, that when people think of them, they may remember Christ. When people hear of them, they might remember Christ, God, that Christ would be the center of everything. And oh Lord, I pray that we would learn that lesson from our missionary friends. Lord, in a world where so often amongst our our, our own believers, amongst Christians, we we lift up the names of celebrities and, and pastors that we esteem and that we admire. And Lord, we know that we're supposed to give honor where honor is due, but we also know that we're not supposed to elevate anyone above your name. And I thank you, God, that the missionary is happy with being nameless. Lord, I thank you, God, that the missionary goes to places where no one knows a pastor's name. God, they don't even know your name, but they have come not to make themselves known, but to make you known. And Lord, I pray, let that be the heart of us every single day, God, that we wouldn't be about our own selfish ambition, that we wouldn't be about our own conceit, about the comfortability of our own lives. God, we thank you for that stimulus check. Lord, I know for many people, it has come at a necessary time and it's providing in areas where they desperately needed it. But Lord, there's also people that this is just a bonus, that this is just extra. Lord, I pray, remind them of the missionary who is waiting on their support, who unlike other people, he doesn't just have a regular check. Their dependency is on the support of your people to do the work you have called them to do. Lord, what stress might there be of just wondering if people stopped giving, wondering if people have given up. And even in this past year, so many, as they looked at their finances, decided that the missionary was the first to go. And yet the missionary still went to where you called them, God. They didn't deny the calling. They didn't worry about whether or not the provision would be there because they've trusted in you. And so, Lord, I pray, help us to trust you as well, God. Lord, that the finances that we give when we give generously, Lord, I'm not worried about what the missionary is going to spend it on. Whether whether he uses it to provide a, a, a coffee for a stranger in a cafe that he's witnessing the gospel to, or he's paying for the education of his child in school because now his child isn't growing up with everybody else back home. Lord, even these little things that seem insignificant to us are all part of your provision for them. And Lord, I thank you, God. And I pray not just for the missionaries that we've sent, but I pray for the ones that are going. I pray for the missionaries in our children's ministry who are learning the gospel now, who are internalizing the call of the Lord on their lives now, who are listening as they pray for your voice that says, go there. And it may not be right now, it may be in 30 years, but I will send you and I am raising you up God, I pray for the next generation, those in our youth group who are learning the spirit of generosity, because one day they will depend on that generosity to do what you have called them to do. Lord, I pray that we not just only be a church that pays for missionaries, we would be a church that sends missionaries, we will be a church that raises up missionaries, that the gospel is important, Lord, that we wouldn't be about building our own castle, but about building your kingdom, God. Let it be done in your name, Lord because it is your name that is greater, God. At the end of it all, nobody cares if you went to Belmont Assembly. All that matters is that you get into the kingdom of heaven. And so, Lord, I pray for our missionaries, God, that they not worry one second about where their provision will come from. Lord, I pray for our missionaries, that their security would be laid out in your hands, that they not worry about the safety of their children, the safety of their husband or their wife. Lord, that they would be concerned about your business. Father, I pray for supernatural favor. God, in some of these countries where it's illegal to proselytize, where it's illegal to even speak your name, God, I pray for supernatural favor. God, I pray for people in high positions and authority to open doors, Lord. Even unbelievers, God, if you can move the heart of Pharaoh, you can move anyone's heart, God. I pray that you would open those doors, that the gospel will be made known, oh God. Lord, we thank you because it's the work of the missionary. And it's why there are more Christians in the Southern Hemisphere than there is in the North now. Areas that were long neglected, but the mission field was ripe and people went. And these areas like the United States and and Ireland and England that for centuries were the ones who sent missionaries are now in desperate need for missionaries to come back and preach the gospel to us all over again. So Lord, we thank you because it's the work of the missionary that reminds us that the gospel was never meant to be contained in the corners of these walls that it was always meant to go out, that the great commission is to go into all the lands, preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So Lord, we thank you. And we pray, Lord, that that work will never cease until it is finished and complete in your presence. And we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.
0: Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Joey. Praise the Lord. Have you ever had a deep desire for something because I mean, you just there was this inner craving that you had to satisfy? Uh, some most of us could probably identify with something like that regarding food. There are times that being from New York. I have a deep craving, a deep desire for real pizza. You know I had to go there. You know I had to go there. And I did that just so that you could be reminded about how much you need to pray for your pastor. Tonight I want to talk to you from one verse speaks to you and I about a deep desire as well as a kingdom principle that I believe God wants us to all understand tonight. One verse from Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, Jesus, teaching his followers, said this, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they will be filled. Blessed, happy are those who hunger and thirst. In other words, who have a deep desire for righteousness. For they, here's the promise from the Lord, when you see the word will, it, it it's now going to reveal to you a promise from God. And it's great that if you as you read your Bible, that you underline, highlight every promise from God that's in the Word, so that you can build your faith upon those promises. Because God never ever fails to fulfill a promise. And so we have God here saying that if if They hunger and thirst for righteousness. If they have this deep desire for righteousness, they will be filled. And the word filled there means to be completely satisfied. Now, in order for you and I to understand this verse as well as the kingdom principle that it reveals, we need to know what righteousness the Lord was talking about. What was he teaching his disciples when it comes to righteousness? Well, by definition, righteousness is the quality of being morally true. The quality of being morally true. In other words, uh, righteousness has this morality to it where you know this is the true or the right thing to do. Whether it's an attitude, whether, whether it's an expression, words, whether it's an action. It's the quality of something being morally true. Now, let me take you to Judges chapter 17 verse 6. This is talking about God's people. The Bible says, in those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. In other words, listen to now. The failure of having a king to lead the people of God produced individual righteousness. In other words, because the people did not have a king uh, to to lead them, to to, uh, guide them, as a result of that, everybody decided on their own what was right and what was wrong. In other words, everybody lived by their own set of righteousness, their own set of moral laws of what they thought was right or pure. When Jesus Christ is not our king, we will also fall into this trap and set our own standard of righteousness. We will all live by what we believe is right in God's eyes morally. I want to share with you not an inclusive, all-inclusive list, but just three righteousness, if you will, three traps where we look at and say, that's righteous. The first one is what I call cultural righteousness. Cultural righteousness is simply this. This is what society deems as right. Right? What society deems as right. For instance, let's look at a few examples. Our society tells us that you can divorce your spouse for whatever reason fits the bill. In other words, biblically, we have, God has outlined that the only acceptable reason for divorce is adultery. But society deems that it is right to divorce your spouse if you're no longer in love, if you have differences now that have uh, that are what, what they call irreconcilable differences. In other words, they have their own set of cultural differences. The big one that we have now is also your sexual persuasion where the Bible makes it clear that homosexuality is a sin. I'm not saying that. This church is not saying that. The Word of God says that. And so the Word of God declares that homosexuality is a sin before God, but the culture that we live in says that is right and acceptable. Everybody has the right to choose their own sexual orientation. Now, why I say that? Because these cultural righteousness have infiltrated the church, and now the people of God are saying, it is right for us to accept that as right in God's eyes, because who are we to judge? And so forget about what the Bible says is right. Now we have a cultural righteousness that is in the church that can impact the church. And then we have what I've called traditional righteousness. What is traditional righteousness? Well, that's religious traditions that seem right to us, that Come to the place where we declare this is right before God. In Matthew chapter 15. I'll read uh, uh, some of that beginning in verse 9. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Jesus replied, and why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, they are not to honor their father or mother with it. Thus, you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites, Isaiah was right. When he prophesied about you, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Every church, if we're not careful, can fall into traditional righteousness, where it's deemed a sin if you don't follow the way we've always done it. Where you look at somebody and you say, you cannot be saved because you don't dress the way everybody's supposed to dress in church. And, and because traditionally, we, we've always done services this way. This is how God moved in the past. This is how we anticipate God will move again. And God forbid that you should do a service differently. Why? Because at that moment, the tradition is more important than the movement of the Holy Spirit. Traditional righteousness. And lastly, We have legalistic righteousness. That means we're becoming right in God's eyes, or so we think, because we strive through human effort to obey his word. Now that sounds righteous. I mean, aren't we supposed to strive to do what God has said in his word? Isn't that what we're supposed to be living for? Isn't that supposed to be what identifies us as the people of God? This is one that's much more subtle and therefore much more evil. Because this is the trap that the Pharisees and the Sadducees fell into in Jesus' day. What they're dealing with is the fact that I have a set of laws that I'm going to follow. I'm going to obey them, and therefore, I am right in God's eyes. And the subtleness about this is that it it puts emphasis on your effort, and because you are working at it, you're righteous. Because I no longer uh, do alcohol, I've worked on that and I've mastered that, now I'm righteous in God's eyes. And it sounds right, but it isn't, and you're going to see why, because These that I've mentioned, the cultural, the traditional, the legalistic, they are not the righteousness that Jesus taught his followers here to hunger and thirst for, to have a deep desire for. So the question becomes, well, then what's the righteousness that Jesus was talking about? What was he teaching his disciples when he said, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will be filled. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 2, begins to reveal what we're talking about tonight. First, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Now, Melchizedek, for those of you who are new to your Bible, he was a uh, a priest that visited Abraham. And he was called uh, the the, the priest of God, the high priest of God. It was a physical manifestation in the Old Testament of Jesus Christ. This was the Lord visiting Abraham under the name Melchizedek because the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness and king of peace. And it's Jesus. So Jesus Christ is the king of righteousness. And what that means is, listen, he is righteousness. So if Jesus is righteousness, now we find in Romans chapter 1, verse 17. Listen, for the gospel, for in, excuse me, for in the gospel, the, the righteousness of God is revealed. Of righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So in the gospel, reveals the king of righteousness and what he provides. See, there's a righteousness from God that's revealed in the gospel. Well, the gospel is all about Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross and what he provides through that. So that's why, the again, listen, First Peter chapter 2, verse 24. He himself, meaning Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds... You have been healed. So Jesus Christ bore our sins on the cross so that we would die to sin and live for righteousness. What does that mean? Well, who is righteousness? Jesus. So in other words, the Bible is saying Jesus bore our sins on the cross so that you and I would die to sin and live for him. Now, back to our verse. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Who hunger and thirst for me, is what Jesus is saying. That's what he was teaching his disciples. Blessed are those who have this deep desire for me. For they will be filled. When Jesus Christ is our king, the one who rules over our life, he will produce and we will have this deep desire for his presence. And the Bible tells us his promises, I will fill you with my spirit to the point of complete Satisfaction. This is the promise that we have from God, that if you and I will embrace Jesus Christ as our King and recognize He is our righteousness. See, see the problem with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they felt, I don't need Jesus to be righteous. I can be righteous on my own. If I try hard enough, if I obey God's word and make a concerted effort to live right, then that will make me right before God. I don't need Jesus for that. That's why that trap is much more subtle because it sounds so correct. But you see, we got to realize Jesus is righteousness. He is our righteousness. We become right in God's eyes, not because of everything we try to do that is correct, but because we have surrendered control of our life to Jesus. And if Jesus in turn has promised, I will then fill you with my spirit to the point where I will satisfy not only your soul, but as I'm being filled with the spirit of righteousness that the king pours into me, then his character, his his trait will begin to be manifested in my life. And people will see not a righteous Carlos, they will see the righteousness of Christ through Carlos. Do you see the big difference with that? In other words, I never want people to see a righteous Carlos. I want people to see Jesus in me. As Pastor Joey was right, that was what St. Patrick desired. I want, when I speak, let it be Christ. When 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 I walk, let people see Jesus. Let people see Jesus in everything that I say, in everything that I do, in everything that I am. Not a righteous, self-righteous person, but a person who realizes that it's the king of kings who is also the king of righteousness that makes me righteous. And when God is filling us, we'll have the strength and the wisdom to avoid this trap of cultural righteousness. And we'll realize, I'm not going to get hung up on what is culturally righteous. I'm not going to get hung up on that stuff. I'm not going to judge the righteousness uh, that comes from God by what the world is telling me. No, I'm going to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. When I follow the Lord Jesus Christ, he will clearly, by his spirit, let me know what is contrary to his ways that comes from without. And I will also be able to avoid that traditional righteousness where we recognize, man, I don't ever want to box God in to tradition. To say this is the only way that is right to worship God, that is right to serve God. I'll let God be God. And I will avoid the trap of that legalistic righteousness. Where I think that I have arrived because I've done something. The minute you begin to say, I did this, you've already failed. Because you and I can never do anything. It's all God doing it through us by his grace and his mercy. Amen.